You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, trashotroncom agony. I have no idea. Usually with puzzles like this, there's some other element. There's a clue to solving it. We just have to find the clue. He pressed his hand to the ceiling, looking for a soft spot, some kind of secret compartment. But the room was bare. He raced downstairs and searched through the ransacked kitchen and living area for hints, but all he could find were loose coat hangers and musty throw pillows. He tore open the pillows, little cubes of gray foam bursting out and tumbling all over. He tore off the wallpaper and searched for holes in the crawl space. He ran outside the house, making sure that he wasn't overstepping the property line and angering the path. And then he searched the house's undercarriage, feeling eagerly along the timbers and around the pipes. Still, the clue eluded him. He went back inside and broke things that were already broken. The new novel by Drew McGarry is The Hike. Thank you for joining me, Drew. Yep. Good beer. This is a wonderful excursion into the other world. Tell us about the real-life experience that gave birth to the beginning of this book. I was, I was in the, the Poconos in Pennsylvania, and I was at a, at a secluded hotel in the middle of the forest, and uh, there was no one at this hotel. I was the only person there. I was, like, the only guest. There was only one person working at the hotel. I was already creeped out. And then, uh, then I went behind the hotel, and there was this path. And I kept walking on the path, and there was nobody there. And I started to be like, well, some, you know, flying bear could come attack me at any second. And, you know, and, I, and no one would know, you know. And, it just, <laughs> and when I got back, it just sort of rolled from there. Like, what happens if I have to keep walking on it? What happens if I encounter stuff along the way? What's it going to do to me? How's the path going to change me? And that's how the book came to be. This is a, a wonderful new American fable. And when you set out to write this novel, were you thinking of it in that terms of Washington Irving and the tall tales that, you know, populate old Americana? Yeah, it was more, um, it was actually, when I was a kid, I, I would read a lot of folktale compilations. There was a woman, her name was Ruth Manning Sanders, and she had compilations of old folktales, really old ones, like from, from Eastern Europe and from Russia and stuff like that. And, um, and they were separated by monsters. So there was a book of demons, there was a book of dragons, a book of kings, a book of giants, a book of ogres. And it, would have, it would have, you know, like a, like a dozen of these, of these old fables. And not recognizable like fairy tales, but had those sort of elements where, you know, you know there were enchanted objects and there were, you know, there were little trickster goblins that would transmogrify into different, like, into objects or into little animals and stuff like that. And there was really no... Um, there was no physical limitations to the stories, which I always thought was cool. You know, it's as basic as Jack and the Beanstalk, where you have the beans and a giant beanstalk grows and you go up to a cloud. And that sort of storytelling, I've always liked it because it's sort of fantasy and yet, you know, sort of modern fantasy is a little, a little different. It's, a, it's become a bit more elaborate. And I'm drawn more to that simple sort of old way of doing it. And so this is my attempt to do that, but like with lots of cursing and stuff like that. The path itself is almost a character in this book. That's right. And I'd like you to talk about uh, creating a... This is the most non-traditional character I think I've ever encountered in a book. Yeah, there's a path and, and, uh, and the main character can't leave it. And of course, the path has a mind of its own and does things to him. And he has to go, you know, he, he hates that he has to stay on it, but he has no choice but to stay on it. And then he has to have faith in it, which is even worse. 
uh, if he expects to get answers from it. I like the way that you incorporated bits of the character's so-called real life into his experience as he uh, journeys through the other world. Uh, there are memories. Sometimes he thinks he's back home, and sometimes he maybe is back home. So I, I'd like you to talk about um, giving the reader a tether than just yanking him back <laughs> into hell again. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. I think, like, I, I think I told you before, like, sci-fi and fantasy for me work when there is some sort of existing uh, connection to the to the world that we know, you know, where it's not uh, it's not insulated. I, as the reader, don't have to sort of break in to parse the language or the setting. Um, there is some there is some there is a person or there is some sort of identifiable talisman of the world that I live in that allows me to connect and get into this world and and allows me to to sense it and see it and taste the things that are in it. Uh, that always helps me as a reader. So I did my best to keep that tether for the reader out there. When you are creating the legion of monsters and creatures that we encounter in this book, you do a good job of providing them, uh, some of them with real characters. I think that's very important to make an interesting monster if it has a character. Yeah, they should have some, you know, it, they, only, they should have a personality. They, it's cool <laughs> when they have some measure of etiquette to them, when they have... Like, they're going to kill you, but they have good manners about it. I think that there's – it's fun that way. Like, I I like it better when it's a villain that's not just an anti-hero or that it's not, they're not just crazy, you know. But they have – like, they're a bit more stately and Victorian in that way where, you know, you have a certain respect for them mm -hmm. even though you want to beat them. And that's cool. You think they might be right even though they're, they're planning on making a meal of you. Yeah, you sort of get where they're coming from. <laughs> like, they have a certain way of, of doing business, and they explain it clearly. And it sucks for you because they're going to kill you, but you sort of see, you see their angle on things. There's wonderful dialogue in this book, a, a lot of it. And I think it has this kind of snappy otherworld repartee where they're going back and forth and saying things each answer response to the previous one but when you look at the whole conversation you realize it's sublimely uh, ridiculous although it's perfectly logical yeah i mean i think i think again dialogue helps ground it you know so mm -hmm. so that you're in this you're in this world and things are sort of weird and unexpected so it makes sense for the character to always be questioning why things are happening and trying to get answers out of people who may be reluctant to give him answers or you know or are trying to figure stuff out with him, but have a different sort of take on it. I've been speaking with Drew McGarry. His new novel is The Hike. Thank you for joining me, Drew. Thanks, man. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, trashotron.com slash agony.